Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. We have made it to the finale, and you may think, cycles 20 through 24, yawn. And I am here to tell you, yeah, they were not the best to watch. But the tea, the tea, I told you, it's going to be crazy. So without further ado, I present to you, cycles 20 through 22, the dating show era. Shade, I know, I know. And then we are going to dive into cycles 23 to 24, wasn't that show canceled era you know the drill by now we are at the finale your coffee should already be in your hand let's go friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast which means i may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language so little ears those easily offended and my mom and dad may want to bow out now on with the show Today I wanted something just cozy and simple and easy. I brewed up some Folgers in my percolator. I never said I have the greatest taste in film, television, or coffee. I know a lot of people hate Folgers. I am not one of those people. I think Folgers is better than a lot of the coffee bouginess I have tried. I stand by that. I have paid a lot of money out the yang for really, really high-end coffee that just didn't hit. It tasted like dirt. If you want an experience that's a little bit, I don't want to say bougie, but a little bit more higher end that is actually delicious, Kicking Horse Coffee Co., I believe they're called, is amazing. So I just want to throw that out there. I am not sponsored by Folgers or Kicking Horse, by the way, but I am 100% open to it. But until then, I have my boring little Folgers hot coffee and it'll do the job. I'm ready to get into it. remember the beautiful metaphor I used in the last episode about the gimmick era being the bomb that blew up any trace of the golden days of America's Next Top Model? Well, sticking with that metaphor, uh, that would mean cycles 20 through 22 were a fucking nuke. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, I present to you America's Next Top Model cycles 20 through 22, the dating show era. Let's be honest about one thing. Neither of you are getting any. And if you were, I would be the first to hear about it. Don, embrace that cheerleader. He looked beautiful. I look pretty cool. I look like a sci-fi secret agent. Nobody likes you. You got acne on your face. I think Phil's adorable. He really has a sweetheart. I think he was thinking Zooland. What are you doing? Oh, my Lord. Jesus, God. Gianna is gorgeous. Literally, like, I look at her and I'm like, if I combine three of my ex-girlfriends, there's Gianna. But just because you're a pretty face doesn't make you a mom. My hair is like a chicken yellow, and I'm like, what in the world? I look like a, a Easter head. You're supposed to be a model. You're supposed to be cute. You're actually a beautiful girl, but you have a foul mouth. You look like an 80-year-old Russian woman who works in a potato oh. field in the shot. Did I ask you for your advice? No, I didn't. Okay, thank you. America's Next Top Model viewership held 
relatively stable at about 5 million viewers for seasons one through nine. But as I have mentioned throughout this entire series, after that, ratings steadily tanked. And by the time cycle 20 rolled around in 2013, viewership had dropped to 1.7 million viewers. That is insane. And what was cycle 20, you may ask? This massive milestone? It was America's Next Top Model, Guys and Girls. The 20th cycle premiered on August 2nd, 2013. Tyra Banks, Kelly Catrone, Brian Boy, and Rob Evans all returned as judges. As in the previous cycle, public voting was still a factor in eliminations. This was the first cycle, however, to show male contestants. Tyra indicated in an interview that a school version of America's Next Top Model called Lagore's Next Top Model inspired her to start including male contestants. I love that the competition opened up to more contestants. Personally, I thought that was dope. But I highly doubt that that was the producer's main focus because they waited 20 cycles, 20, until they had no other options, no other gimmicks left, no other plan. This was a last ditch effort to get ratings up. And instead of banking on competition, they banked on drama. Of course, guys and girls means more drama because there would be something that was very rare throughout America's Next Top Model. Not uncommon, not something we hadn't seen before. It's popped up here and there, but that something was the opportunity for more romance. There's always been a sprinkle of flirtations and hooking up in previous cycles, and who knows what was unaired. But this cycle, it was blatant and in your face. Production wasn't shy, and that also includes Tyra. She was literally giving dating advice. She was like, oh, if you like a guy in the house, be like an animal in the jungle and make him work for it. Don't chase a man, let him chase you. Let me give you advice about that. A man wants a woman that is like an antelope in the jungle. Make him work for it. So if you guys like a man in this house, talk to each other. So the producers were 100% hoping and counting on romance happening in the house, for sure. The focus was shifted in a massive way from photo shoots and challenges to the shenanigans of the house. Also, just like the previous cycle, the comeback series also returned this era, but now the audience enabled two eliminated models, one male and one female, to return to the competition. There was a slight change made in the judging this era. Ms. J came back as a judge thank God, replacing Rob Evans in cycle 21 after some major issues he had with the law. Consistent issues, might I add. A 2012 TMZ article says the following. America's Next Top Model judge Rob Evans has turned himself into police after allegedly beating up another man so badly the guy ended up in the hospital. Evans turned himself in at the Beverly Hills PD Wednesday morning on a felony assault charge and was released 25 minutes later after posting $60,000 bail. Sources close to Evans, a former boxer, tells TMZ Evan was completely unaware of the warrant being issued until very recently. As soon as he caught wind of it, we're told he contacted his lawyers who advised him to turn himself in. As for the fight itself, Evans tells us the alleged victim was trash-talking Evans when he reared up as if to attack him. So Evans punched him and insists the punch was in self-defense. After that, understandably and probably for the best, Rob Evans was removed as a judge. 
The prizes for this era consisted of a modeling contract with Next Model Management, a spread in Nylon Magazine, and a $100,000 campaign with Guess. In Cycle 22, however, Zappos replaced Guess to become a new prize for the series, and the winner was chosen for a $100,000 contract to become the face of the Zappos Couture 2016. Another change that happened was the creative director since Cycle 19, Johnny Wujek, was succeeded by photographer Yu Sai. Yu Sai, I think, was mega qualified and a massive upgrade resume-wise. I really had high expectations due to his past experience. Yusai's photography had been featured in magazines such as Esquire, Cosmopolitan, Vanity Fair, Playboy, GQ, and Vogue. He's photographed celebrities like Janet Jackson, Anne Hathaway, Leonardo DiCaprio, really every A-list celebrity you can think of he has worked with. Same thing with models. Any A-list model like a Kate Upton, a Gigi Hadid, Yamila Diaz, all of them. He also collaborated with other commercial directors in treatment writing and script development, and he has also directed commercials for Gateway and Samsung. As a photographer, he did a lot of advertising campaigns for companies such as Apple, Guess, Lexus. The basic point I'm trying to get across is that his experience is unlike any other creative director we've seen, and that's no shade. Unfortunately, his tremendous work experience does not necessarily make him a good person. And that I will talk about further when we get into controversies. In keeping with the last two cycles, social media was a factor in eliminations, with public voting taking place on the show's official page. The 14 finalists were revealed when voting began. In this era, the shift was so apparent, and we saw it straight from the jump at casting. You could have told me this was a casting for the real world, and I would have believed it. It did not come across as model at all. I will say, however, it was a lot of fun to watch because the contestants were super likable and they were having a good time. But all of them were literally like, I'm single. (laughs) So you could tell right from the jump what they were going for. When you step back and sort of forget that this is a modeling competition, I think everyone could agree it's pretty entertaining. Entertaining, that's a great word actually to transition into the next top model dating show door I want to open. The tieovers or makeovers, whatever they were called this era. I don't quite remember, but probably tieovers still. Guys, there's no way to tiptoe around it. They gave this man a fucking beard weave. A beard weave. Have you ever heard of anything more fucking ridiculous in your life? If I thought the makeovers during the British invasion was 24, This was 25. I thought of something funnier than 24. I'm so sorry. I heard that the other day and I was like, I don't remember that. I barely watched Spongebob. I felt like it rotted my brain. I had like a week where I watched Spongebob and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I went back to Lizzie McGuire. I was such a television snob. Anyways, back to the makeovers. The producers had no idea how to make the men's makeovers entertaining. Zero fucking clue, and that was clear, apparent, and obvious. They did Chris dirty by turning him into a cue ball. He's gorgeous, so he pulled it off no problem. He owned it, but seriously, production was like, okay, for dudes, it's either ice blonde or bald or beard weave. A beard weave. I'm still not over it. I haven't been over it since I first saw it years ago. As for the girls, they gave one girl a quote 
gray ombre. And that gray ombre was literally green, okay? Another girl got a fucking mullet. And not like a trendy shag modernized mullet that's wicked in fashion right now. No, 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 not like the Miley. This was highly editorial, non-malleable, non-diverse mullet. They have made that the reasoning for makeovers on top models since the beginning. We want you to look edgy, but we also want you to be diverse and flexible. And this was not that. They were literally giving these makeovers for shock value. The goal was to entertain the viewer. That was it. And also there was a weird plug for Ancestry DNA to add a sprinkle of spicy to the strange makeovers. But you know what? I actually love that they turned that into a photo shoot. I thought that was pretty creative. It was just weird. And speaking of photo shoots, I have to say this era hands down had the worst photo shoots of the entire series. Everything from the germ of an idea to the final product. Awful. To name a few, very briefly, we had a photo shoot in a trailer park with a honey boo boo impersonator. Then there was nail art beauty shots. Um, why? I don't know, but that's what it was. There was also a splashing body paint shoot that brought back clear and vivid memories of Warp Tour. I would go to Warp Tour and every single fucking year without fail, I would see people splattered in paint every year. And I never knew where this happened, when it happened. It just was there. Like you knew paint was being splattered at Warp Tour, but you didn't know how, where, when, or why. You just saw the finished product with people with paint splattered all over them. And that was what this shoot reminded me of. The shoots in general felt extremely amateur, which was so disappointing giving you size experience. Just one of the reasons he was extremely disappointing. They also had a challenge using Vine. Remember Vine, the glory days? They used it for a PSA or something, which I've said before, as corny as that may sound, I don't mind the PSA shit. I actually think it's great. They took their massive platform and they used it for something good to bring awareness to a cause. The Vine aspect was very influencer-y to me. Definitely less typical traditional model, which could be interpreted in a positive or negative way, to be honest. It could be thought of as very forward thinking, but it also could be seen as selling out, which I could see both sides. Something super cool that happened in cycle 22 was that the height restriction was removed and the competition was open to contestants at any height. It wasn't just a short cycle. They also finally removed the social media aspect. Thank God. What a mess. But the scoring system still remained in place, but it only combined the challenges and the judges' scores. Those were added into the final tally to determine who would be eliminated, basically. That part to me was dumb, but you know, small victories. Just because the gimmick era is no more, that doesn't mean that they took the gimmicks away from the show completely. They certainly weren't lacking in this era. In addition to the in-house romance that happened inevitably, of course, there were also some injections of strange, random things that just made me side-eye, and again, made me forget that this was a modeling competition. The Property Brothers made a cameo as they worked on, you know, the model house that they all live in. Cool, but who cares? I'd rather have a cooler cameo from someone with fashion relevance that may not be like the hottest trend right now. That may be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like unless it's fashion, beauty, or modeling related, I, I don't really care about the cameo. Like, I don't think we need Nicki Minaj and the Property Brothers. I just, I just don't see that. 
Some other strange happenings. Let me just rapid fire here. A weird foam pit for the final contestants to enter the house. Uh, that was weird. Walking on shipping containers challenge. Um, yeah. Kind of dangerous too, I might add. And completely unnecessary. Also, the abroad destination for Cycle 22. Abroad. Ab- abroad. Um, was Vegas. They do have an Eiffel Tower, though, so I mean, I completely understand the mix-up, but Vegas, yeah. The winner of Cycle 20 was Jordan Miller, and Cycle 21, we had the first male winner, Keith Carlos. Cycle 22's winner is one of the most beloved contestants in America's Next Top Model history, especially amongst the fandom, and that was Niall DeMarco. DeMarco is also noted for being the first deaf contestant in the history of America's Next Top Model, and of course, the only one to win. I feel like that may have been all over the place, but that's kind of how my brain felt watching this. If I absorb something and it's a mess and it's all over the place, I feel like that's how I regurgitate it. So I apologize for that. And if it seems like I'm just cutting this era short, I'm not trying to. It's just that my critiques are very similar to the previous episodes and previous eras. And I don't want to become redundant. They basically just took all of those gimmicks and added some guys into the mix in a sad, desperate attempt for the show to be rejuvenated with in-house romance and drama. In summation, the production was consistently abysmal. But to make up for the messiness and the redundance and the shortness, let's get into some controversies. And I'm going to start off with a rant because I feel like it is something to note and something to be aware of. In cycle 22, the contestants had to be in a music video titled Bootiful, which is basically an ad for Tyra's makeup line, Tyra Beauty. She explains the beauty line using the same bullshit talking points we hear from MLMs about women being fierce and independent CEOs of their own life through direct selling. The sellers are called beauty tainers and the money they make is called bank signs. The S in that being a dollar sign for cool points, I guess. And again, to make it more Tyra-centric in a very unnecessary way, but also it's a tactic to separate money from the equation. So when you say you have 20 bank signs, you don't immediately equate that to $20. It feels different. It's a tactic that's used a lot. But let me give you the tea on this pyramid scheme that drove itself directly into the fucking mud. The skim milk version anyways. I highly recommend Illuminati on YouTube. The specific video I'm speaking on is titled Tyra Banks Failed MLM or something along those lines. So if you type that in, you'll find her channel as well. She's like a little triangle. She did such a fantastic job breaking it down and giving the full, full read. That's a great resource for more information on Tyra's MLM. But basically, Tyra Beauty held a soft launch in March 2015 with 200 handpicked independent beauty tainers who were largely responsible for starting the company's initial momentum. When the company officially opened its doors six months later, more than 7,000 women who were on the waiting list joined. Tyra Beauty later announced that the few hundred hand-selected beauty tainers that were doing all of the selling during the beta period grew to several thousand beauty tainers by 2017, so just in two years, and doubled revenue each year. Then went on to say, in true compliment sandwich style, 
the success and positive momentum in the direct sales channel has been astonishing. That success has come at a price, and over the last year, it has become increasingly clear that there were challenges with the direct sales channel that are simply not compatible with the mission and ultimately the business. What the fuck does that even mean? Are they saying the sellers or the beauty tainers were costing Tyra Beauty too much money? Am I understanding that correctly? Let me finish reading this quote. The brand's commitment has always been to help empower people by giving them the tools and encouragement they need to succeed. Tyra Beauty will continue to sell its innovative products on tyrabeauty.com and other channels where it is excited to continue to share its products, mission, and message. People accuse Tyra of using her name and her Harvard degree, that beautiful Harvard degree we spoke about, to promote a pyramid scheme that, like many pyramid schemes, if not all, um, fuck people over, ruin their lives, and crush their financial stability. MLMs and pyramid schemes prey on at-home moms who want to make money easily from their home. These women are often targeted and manipulated based on things like their weight, health, their religion, their household income, and their appearance. Look at popular pyramid scheme products. Think about it. You know a few. Most are weight loss related, health related, fashion related, beauty related. They are targeting women's insecurities. It's sick and fucking disgusting and I am extremely anti-MLM. Why don't you give Herbalife and Monat, whatever it's called, a cursory Google search. If you're feeling a little Sherlock Holmesy, throw in the word controversy as well. Again, Illuminati does some great expose videos on MLMs. I highly recommend. Tyra told New York Magazine about Tyra Beauty, I'm ready to come back and help share and inspire women to start their own businesses. And to harp on the Harvard thing again, because Tyra said in an interview with New York Magazine when she was talking about Tyra Beauty, how she hunkered down and put her nose to the grindstone at Harvard Business School, learning about the tools I needed to launch my business so that she can inspire women to start their own businesses. That's not what Tyra Beauty is. That's not their own business. You are not a business owner when you are a part of an MLM. One journalist documented her experience of Tyra Beauty and took home only $27.75 and was required to sell or buy herself $150 worth of product each month to stay on the program. Red flag, by the way. This is not uncommon for pyramid schemes and scams of that nature. There were many people who spoke out after the abrupt announcement that the direct sales part of Tyra Beauty just went poof. Bye, gone, we're ripped away. Like literally, just that easily. Just bye, we're done. One user says, I cannot believe I used to look up to you. I just can't hardly believe what you did to all of us beauty tainers, as you called us. We worked and struggled and hustled on the daily for supposedly us, but it was all just for you. I will never look at you the same and I will not support anything you put your name or hands on. You are a pathetic excuse for an entrepreneur, a business owner, a leader, a celebrity, and really even a human. Tyra never reimbursed those who were left out of pocket from Tyra Beauty and hasn't offered an apology for any of this, to my knowledge. Now moving on. Thank you for indulging me. I just had to, you know, take my opportunity as it was presented. In Cycle 21, we saw Romeo being eliminated for a physical altercation. Like he straight up headbutted a dude. 
Romeo was a jerk, so I didn't really miss his presence, but it was just shocking. We hadn't seen anything like that on America's Next Top Model, not that I can remember. Also in Cycle 21, we meet Chantel, aka Winnie Harlow, who, despite being highly unliked amongst the ANTM fanbase, is arguably the most successful model to come from the show. Winnie has vitiligo, and she is very proud of it and is extremely confident and unapologetic about it, as she should be. It's her skin. She's beautiful. However, you sigh. Uh, you sigh. Oh man, the big reason that I have issue with you sigh is because of the incident when he called Winnie Panda on a photo shoot, which is just so rude and unprofessional and gross. I don't want kids out there to see you, someone so high up in the industry, being able to call me Panda and then see somebody else with a skin condition and be like, hey, you said I could call Chantel Panda, I can call this person a cow. Because you know what I mean? I didn't call you a cow. Chantel is not gonna make a good model because she rubs people the wrong way and it's hard to get Chantel to really listen. Panda, cow, zebra, you know, I don't want them to, but, to but put if that. If they understand why that nickname was given to you, it's actually for the positive so that you can soften your ass. But you and I know that. They, oh, they, they know that because I that, tell them. They could take that out of context. How I called your name was never insulting and never harmful and never demeaned who you are. When I gave you the nickname, just to help you. If you don't understand it, you would no longer deserve that little soft nickname. I'll call you Porcupine from now on. I've had people who called me their best friend be like, oh, I can call you Cal because we're friends. That doesn't make any sense. You still can't call me that. It's not appropriate. Obviously, this did not go over well with Winnie, and she stuck up for herself, and the way she went about it was so graceful. Under no circumstances that acceptable behavior, let alone while you're on a shoot in a professional environment. The dating show era was a strange time. Even while it had moments of entertainment and some really fun contestants, it didn't deliver the model aspect. Not in the authentic way America's Next Top Model had delivered in earlier cycles. This was the final plunge into the deep end for America's Next Top Model on the CW, and due to the desperate ploy for ratings, with gimmicks that strayed further and further from authentic modeling until it reached real-world-style reality show, and Tyra's big sister mentor image being tarnished by suspect and diva behavior coming to light, on set and off, America's Next Top Model sunk to the ocean floor and was ultimately canceled. Or was it? Here's where we move into the Wasn't That Show Canceled era, cycles 23 and 24. We have every shape, every size, every color. And you know I got rid of that age limit. It's all about being a boss. We're all unique, we're yep. all different. That's why they chose us. I really don't need to be best friends with these girls. Some of them get under my skin. I'm fed up. I just don't trust her at this point. My legs look like two noodles. My arms look like two noodles. I don't know if I should be excited or nervous. This is a real cover. I'm standing up because I'm literally in shock. You're the person that I've been trying to prove to all my friends that white people are good. This is your moment, not mine, girl. Do something. This house is wearing on me. Doing this is really scary, but I want to show people that it's okay to be bald and that bald is beautiful. When you come in this room, you respect my judges. I'm not talking to you! Somebody get help! I want to be any of these sociopaths. I feel like I'm about to have an anxiety attack. This is deeply rooted psychological war. So the CW decided that America's Next Top Model wasn't the hot commodity it once was. But VH1 saw some potential and decided to revive the series, 
And being completely transparent, I had no idea these cycles even existed. And they are incredibly hard to find, especially legally. I found a good chunk of the two cycles on daily motion and they're like sped through. So, you know, I think that's legal. That's the only type of viewing I would recommend for you. But full disclosure, I have only watched this era once through. As opposed to the UPN era, which I watched a million times at different ages, so in comparison, I have a lot more to say about the UPN era and some of the eras that followed. But, and however, I still have a lot to say. Quite a bit, actually. More than I originally thought I would. These two cycles surprised me in a lot of ways. And we actually see one of the most polarizing contestants in top model history. And I don't think that's overstating it. We also see a new host in this era, at least for one cycle. And we also see a total revamp aesthetically. Call me crazy. I actually feel like these two cycles were closer to the vibe of the UPN era and the prime era of America's Next Top Model rather than being closer to seasons that were closer in time like the gimmick era and the dating show era. I don't know if that makes any sense. But even if it does make sense and you understand what I'm saying, it probably sounds crazy. I will explain it all. Don't you worry. The 23rd cycle of America's Next Top Model premiered on December 12, 2016 on VH1. It was the first cycle to air on the network following the series cancellation by the CW. As opposed to the past three cycles, this cycle followed the series' original format of an all-female contest. The biggest change was something unfathomable to top model fans. And even still talking about it, I am blown away that this happened. But Tyra Banks did not host Cycle 23. Nope. The cycle was presented by British singer Rita Ora, who took over from former model and businesswoman Tyra Banks, of course. Let me just say, I do understand the confusion of a British singer a singer and someone not American as the host of America's Next Top Model. It just doesn't seem to fit. It's really not something I think that's a huge deal, but I am curious how production managed to make it make sense in their mind. I don't even think Rita Ora was like popping off in the US at the time. I remember first learning about her through a bootleg mp3 download of a song called R.I.P. that was like a mashup with Drake. I don't even think that was officially released as a song. Oh, and How We Do. I think that was by her, right? Which I think was around 2012. From what I know and the circles I ran in, she wasn't necessarily popular in the U.S., but she saw major success in the UK. She toured with Usher and Coldplay, but only in Europe. Rita Ora's big breakthrough in the US was with the song Black Widow with Iggy Azalea. And she also had a song with Liam Payne on Fifty Shades Freed, as well as an acting role playing Mia Gray in the franchise. I will give credit where credit's due. She had a lot of success being the face of numerous campaigns for big brands like Skull Candy, Calvin Klein, Madonna's clothing line Material Girl, Coca-Cola, Roberto Cavalli, and a lot of luxury German brands as well. So she definitely had experience in commercial modeling. So you may be wondering, why exactly would Tyra not come back? This was her baby, and as we learned in previous eras, she injected the show with herself for better or for cringe. The show was Tyra Banks. It was said that Tyra was too busy and she just couldn't fit it in her schedule, which is believable. As I've shared many times, she had a lot on her plate and she continuously took more. 
But regardless of not being the presenter and a judge, she was still an executive producer on the new version of the show. Tyra did say in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, walking away from the show after 22 cycles really wasn't that hard for her. She did mention here that she wanted to leave the show in 2007, which was, I want to say, the prime era we discussed this. But she also spilled some more tea. Apparently, Rita was not Tyra's first choice as a host. She said, quote, I actually brought a different person to the network, met with them and said, this is the person I want to take the reins of this show. She also stated that she didn't think she would return as a presenter on the show and said, quote, I don't really think so. I'm hoping that we can continue to be successful where we are. It's all about watching ratings, trying to increase them and getting them to a place where the show can live without me. So that's my goal. We will circle back to that quote in cycle 24, because as we know, of course, Tyra came back as presenter for the real final season. If I had to take an educated guess, I think the biggest factor in Rita being selected had a lot to do with two factors. One being her experience on The Voice UK and The X Factor. She was so sweet and likable and fresh. Her style was fantastic. Her personality was breezy and funny. And I think that really appealed to producers. The biggest factor, of course, was definitely her industry connections and just plain asking for the job, which Rita did say got her the gig. She said this in an interview with Paper Magazine. I'm lucky to have friends in this industry, and I thought maybe if I call them and we create a credible panel and give a different perspective of America's Next Top Model, I could actually be the host. And put together the panel she did. Which I wonder if it was all her. I don't really believe that. I think she had a small say. But if she did this 100% on her own, like presented this panel and sold herself as the host, she is a savvy businesswoman because the judging panel was fully revamped. And overall, I thought it really worked. The first judge was Ashley Graham. Graham was a model with Wilhelmina at the age of 12 in 2001. Two years later, she signed a deal with Ford Models. In April 2007, she was profiled by Sally Singer of Vogue magazine. So at a young age, she already acquired a lot of experience in the modeling world. In October 2009, she appeared in the Glamour magazine editorial, These Bodies Are Beautiful at Every Size, which showcased her and other plus-size models. Ashley Graham sort of burst onto the modeling scene and also became a big name in the body positivity movement when she appeared in a controversial Lane Bryant TV commercial in 2010. Please know I use the term controversial very loosely. She is a woman with curves. She has tits and ass and was showing her body in lingerie, just like women with a smaller body type have been doing for decades. The difference is cleavage. One body type isn't sexier than another. One is just more sexualized than the other. If a girl with an A or B cup goes out in a camisole tank top, she's casual and chic and sexy, but not too sexy. If someone like myself who has larger breasts goes out in the same camisole tank top, I am immediately looked at in a sexualized way. I'm not considered chic by the majority of the population. I'm considered slutty to many. Even to this day, someone with a smaller chest size and myself are still equally as sexy. The difference is I have a higher chance of being sexualized. That doesn't mean that people with smaller breasts aren't sexualized. I feel like you understand what I'm saying. Unfortunately, this is just the reality of the world that we live in. 
I think the way Ashley handled the entire situation with Lane Bryant was very graceful and poised and honestly badass. After gaining even more stardom, she has appeared in countless commercials for campaigns for Levi's, Hanes, Nordstrom's, and was an iconic model for Sports Illustrated and became the first plus-size model to appear on the cover of the swimsuit edition. Her magnanimous personality and confidence really showed in her judging. She was constructive but never hurtful, and she had this relatability that really made her the heart of the show in this era, in my opinion. The second judge was Paper Magazine Chief Creative Officer Drew Elliott. And you may not know his name, but you certainly are familiar with his work. The infamous Kim Kardashian break the internet cover from November 2014. We all know it. We all love it. America's Next Top Model hired Elliot in 2016 to transform the show and make it appear more high fashion, in addition to serving as creative consultant, which I think his resume definitely supports that. The final judge was celebrity stylist La Roach, known for transforming Celine Dion into a fashion icon and has worked with countless A-list celebs, mainly Zendaya the Queen, but also Louis Hamilton, Priyanka Chopra, Mary J. Blige, Ariana Grande, Halsey, Tiffany Haddish, and many, many more. His work has also been featured in publications such as Vogue, Time Magazine, Elle, GQ, New York Magazine, all of the magazines. This definitely seemed to be another addition to the high fashion aspect of the show. The three new judges combined seemed to be formed with the future of modeling in mind. Rita Ora said about the show Revamp, quote, I don't think just taking a photo is enough anymore. We focus on how you're going to create a fan base on social media, how you're going to make people want to imitate you. That for me is the difference between somebody who's just a regular model and somebody who's a superstar. And I think the judges accurately reflected that vision for the show. Stacey McKenzie as the runway coach was so lovable. She had a totally different vibe from Miss J, but just as adorable and just as talented. She was honest and respected and genuinely felt approachable and like she was there for the girls and wanted them all to do well. I thought she was a great addition. The start of this new cycle with the casting episode was just fantastic. It actually felt very similar to a go-see and it felt like it added more authenticity. It felt high fashion. It felt chic. As far as the contestants go, I noticed some changes in the casting. The main being that the girls had modeling experience, which was a big no-no in previous cycles, despite Salisha Gate. In previous cycles, it seemed like production wanted the girl from the mall that wasn't conventionally pretty and never walked in heels. But this time around, they were looking for someone that had a little bit more oomph to them. And I feel like that added a lot of authenticity as well. Even though some of the girls had experience, there was still the fantasy. You know I love the selling of the fantasy. The contestants were extremely relatable. They came from all over and from so many different backgrounds. And I know that was the case in previous cycles. That's always been a theme. But I feel like the editors and producers did a great job showcasing this in a fresh new way. There were, of course, catty, bitchy moments as always. And the house had a division because the girls had huge personalities and they were all very competitive. But honestly, the drama was super petty. It wasn't that serious. They just threw some intense music over it. But if you took away the music and you step back and you really listened to what they were saying, it was like, wah, 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 I have to get up at 6 a.m. Ah, your tone is irking me. 
it wasn't severe drama. It was like basic drama between sisters or something. It was a sprinkle of over-edited arguments that kept us entertained without making us cringe. After the final five, the bond seemed to be a lot closer. And I mean, overall, the girls all seemed really cool with each other. But I liked that. I didn't mind it at all. It was very refreshing. Personally, my favorite was Binta. She was so messy. And I was all the way here for it. She was just extra as fuck. I just, I just had to throw that in there. My love for Binta. Seriously, like, there's a way to come at people and that wasn't- My ass! You don't deserve it! You do not deserve it! Do not, I was being a team player to you, but you were not being a team player with me. I was doing everything for you. My there was some additional drama with a romantic bond between contestants Marissa and Kyle. Editors certainly leaned into that, but it wasn't the focal point like in the dating show era. That was a horse beaten to death, thrown in a casket and thrown out to sea. In reality, this was a young couple stuck together 24-7 and both were just extremely immature. They were very young and that's fine. I wasn't really a fan of Marissa. She, um, she made the show, uh, how do I put this nicely? You're not giving me any, like, notes. You're just making do you me mean, do I'm, the same thing over and over. I'm not making you do the same thing over and over. You're doing the same that's thing over and over. I know, I want you to help me. But I'm trying to help you, but you're not listening. I'm trying to keep listen. The, keep, the, keep the pretty lips shut. Listen to me, and let me tell you exactly what it is you need to do. Okay. I don't want to come across as some bitchy model, but she was annoying me. She made the show very offensive to my eyes and my ears. Not my favorite at all, but she was extremely entertaining. I'll give her that. The romance was like a two episode fling or something like that. And then shit moved on. It didn't even consume the episodes where it appeared. It added a shift in the storyline and provided some zest. And that was all. And I loved it. I did notice that production went back to that original format that was tried and true for a few things, mostly regarding the photo shoots. For example, they had the nude shoot, which made some girls completely freak out. They did the acting challenges and a Beyonce choreographer movement coach for a challenge. Like, doesn't all this ring a bell? Doesn't it sound familiar? Is it bringing back memories of the glory days of America's Next Top Model? It is for me. The difference between then and now, now being these cycles, was that it felt like it made more sense in this era. Maybe it was the delivery and the elimination of the, what I like to call tyrannies, like the smize and the booty pooch or tooch or whatever. It was delivered to us like, here's what we're doing and here's why. There was no fucking, aha, and surprise, pot latum. You know, there was none of that shit. Regardless of some reoccurring themes from earlier cycles, this era had a totally new vibe. It seemed much more modern without trying so hard and forcing these themes and gimmicks. It had some edge and it was modeling first and foremost. I also thought it looked much sleeker cinematography wise. And I wish that was the direction production took in cycles 13 through 23. Going back to the photo shoots, they weren't super elaborate. They were simple, but they had fun themes and they made sense. The challenges also made sense and were straightforward. There really wasn't a shtick to it. It was like, here you are jumping and posing on a trampoline to practice posing in motion to emulate a sports or athletic campaign. I liked it. I actually really liked it. There was one that was inspired by a Chanel grocery store photo shoot that I thought was absolutely stunning with avant-garde fashion. Probably one of my favorites of the entire series. The photo shoots felt like actual client photo shoots and 
instead of that random nonsense that they had to do previously, like crumping in Payless shoes, even though I loved that as a child. For the makeover episode, the reveal was super simple. I feel like I can't say that enough. Fresh, sleek, simple, sophisticated, elegant. All of those things was what this cycle was. They basically got a card that said, yeah, this is what you're getting. Nothing too exciting reveal-wise. And the drama was mild. There was a couple breakdowns, like one girl was going from natural ginger to red. And of course, that one girl who has to whine about getting short hair. But that was it. And that was the moment where it really dawned on me. Like, wow, America's Next Top Model is about America's Next Top Model now, not Tyra. No more tie-overs. Rejoice for now. Anyways, for now. Let's just soak it up now because it'll be gone soon. Hang on to this moment free of smizes and booty tooches and tie-overs, okay? In my personal opinion, just my own, I think the budget for this cycle was pushed more for celebrity features and not the photo shoots, which I get, I completely understand, and I didn't mind it, again, because the photo shoots were just cool, even when they were simple. Again, like I said earlier, I would prefer if the cameos were like fashion beauty model related. Like I think Zendaya was perfect because she kind of has her toe in every single door. She truly is a superstar. But then there was DJ Khaled and Jason Derulo. I didn't mind Amber Rose. She kind of uh, did a PSA for the slut walk. And I thought that was cool. It felt purposeful. The other celebrities had purpose as well. I just would have rather them not be there. Judging wise, this cycle was tightened up quite a bit and they did away with the scoring. Thank God. They still had that whole situation of one girl went home and one girl took her place. It was something similar that was tweaked and producers did it in a way that wasn't messy. It was done right and it sparked my interest without confusing me. So I really appreciated that. Even though I would have liked it not being there, I was glad that they did it as best they could, if that makes sense. This era was not all sunshine and roses though, especially during the judging panel. We established that the judges have impressive resumes, but some didn't quite deliver when it came to critique and um, personality, you could say. Let's start with Rita Ora, because obviously she's the presenter, she's the host, whatever you want to call her. She's the face of the show. She was a completely different person than what we saw in her other TV gigs. Many saw her delivery as a host slow and boring. And for me personally, in my opinion, her judging wasn't much better. Her critique was sort of empty, almost like someone wrote the critique before even seeing the photo for her. She didn't really have anything of substance to say. I don't even know exactly what she was looking for. Maybe she didn't even know. She would say things like, I don't see a boss. And I, I just, okay, first of all, Take a shot every time Rita Ora says boss. All right, guys, you'll be having a lot of fun by the end of the cycle. Yes, queen, go off, girl, boss. Pussy hat slay. I understand wanting to take modeling into the future, and rightfully so. But first and foremost, you should be looking for a model. Drew took the blunt, straightforward approach that was quite prickly, but was very respected, much like Kelly Catrone. I thought his critique was the most valid, even though I didn't find him particularly likable. Ashley gave a big sister vibe. She'd give a compliment sandwich and her critique really came from the heart. 
My sole complaint is that sometimes she was too nice. And when it's a competition and you really want these girls to succeed, you can't always give them Paula Abdul. You need to go full Simon. But I think she could have found a happier medium. Regardless, she was the star of the cycle. She's an absolute fucking angel. And I still believe that to this day. La Roach seemed to have emotion-based feedback, I guess you could say. Unpopular opinion, but it was interesting to hear his commentary for me. I don't think he was extremely articulate, and I think his critique was a bit redundant, but it didn't feel fake. I certainly didn't take his constructive criticism seriously, though. It was weird. I don't know. I like him. I like hearing his opinion because I do think he has an eye and knows what looks good. But I don't know if he's as credible as Drew or Ashley experience-wise. I know a lot of people hate him, but I love him. And he's so funny. His TikToks, they crack me up. When does the wig come off? What wig? Uh, oh. I'm sorry. Do you see any lights? Any lights? Do you want to do you want to? Okay. All the judges were equally involved in shoots and challenges. It wasn't just Rita Focus like it was with Tyra, which was so peaceful. I loved it. Ashley Graham was similar to Jay Manuel being the, like I said, big sister to the girls. She would just show up and give her insight and advice, and it felt really intimate. Tyra, speaking of show up, did show up to the finale and gave her expertise on how to choose a winner. Not who, but how, which I really appreciated. She really couldn't give her two cents on the winner anyway. But as a producer, I'm sure she paid enough attention to kind of have a favorite. I also thought it was really cool how Tanache performed during the final walk. It added some fun and intensity without overshadowing the walk. The announcement of India winning, which yes, she won the cycle, by the way, was very odd to me. Rita seemed really tired or sad. We have to pick one winner. And that winner is India. Congratulations, India. It had no va-va-voom, no punch, no excitement. And bro, if any winner deserved this, it was India. She, oh my God, her talent is, it knows no bounds. But yeah, Rita was just not, I don't know. Like she took a few Benadryls. What's going on with that, Rita? India needed some excitement. She needed a confetti cannon. And on to the final cycle of America's Next Top Model, the real final cycle, cycle 24, where Tyra Banks returned as the show's host. Tyra was the only new addition this cycle. The judging panel stayed unchanged. In regards to Tyra coming back, I want to go back to that quote from earlier when she said she was watching ratings. I really think that Tyra jumped in and said, nope. This isn't working. We're watching this like a hawk. I'm coming back. Let's give this another shot to bump the ratings. The fans are asking for me. So let's give them what they want. I will present. I will host. I will be Tyra. There didn't seem to be any hard feelings between Tyra and Rita when Rita left. She was more focused on her music career and the show gave her a decent boost in America. So it seemed to be like a great opportunity even if it was only for one cycle. It seemed like an equal exchange. Executive producer Ken Mock had this to say about Tyra coming back. Quote, Tyra has always been the heart and soul of the franchise, and her absence was deeply felt by our fiercely loyal fans who missed their queen of smize, unquote. 
I'm sorry, that sounds so fucking cringe, but in a way, I think he was right. Now, you may be thinking that I'm flip-flopping a bit, and hey, you might be right. I do believe that the cycle without Tyra was peaceful and refreshing and chic and sophisticated, but let's not act like Tyra didn't bring excitement, for better or for worse. I think of it this way. Tyra, with her booty tooches and weird production ideas and strange way of making the franchise all about herself, that is Tyra at 100%, right? It's a lot, and it became hard to watch. It was overdrive, but Rita, as a presenter, was 5% energy. It was a welcome change from the intense Tyra, but after a little while, you start hoping for sprinkles of excitement and spark from the host. I personally felt like I was stuck on a seesaw on the ground, wishing that I'd shoot up a few feet in the air. And then cycle 24 hit and fucking catapulted me not only a few feet, but into the goddamn stratosphere. So jumping right into the meat of the cycle, they started out with semifinalists that were introduced to the judges for the first time and were made aware of the new casting process in which any of them could be eliminated at any point during casting week, as opposed to the mass eliminations in previous cycles. The theme or tagline for the show, whatever you want to call it, was next level filth. Every age, every size, every color, which was very cool. Part of me thinks that if this was their vision, then maybe they should have accepted male models too, personally. But that's okay. I really feel like the producers had their chance with people of all genders and they fucked that up because they think that just because there's all genders, that means that there has to be just a romp fest or a love fest 24-7. They can't just focus on the competition part. There was an interesting bit of drama, kind of random, but important to note. Two girls actually quit the competition, which I don't think has happened to my knowledge. And bro, I've studied like 24 cycles for months now. I have no more space in my brain, but I'm sure Tyra and the producers loved this drama. But two girls, one cycle, that's crazy. And on the topic of drama, would it be a Tyra comeback without tie-overs? I told you it would be short-lived without it. Tie over day, tie over day, where to begin? Let me keep it pretty simple, even if it's redundant. The tie overs weren't announced in any crazy way. It was done over this Tyra mail or Tyra TV, whatever they want to call it. And again, of course, in true tie over fashion, these were just shock value makeovers and weren't of any use to the contestant at all. One that was wicked dumb was there was this girl who was a Trump supporter and she was given red hair. And Tyra said when announcing this that you voted red, so you're going to go red. Liberty, you voted red, so you're going red. She voted red, so she's going red. Oh, because I'm pro-Trump. That's okay. And like, you won't find anyone more anti-Trump than me, if I'm being honest, but that's just fucking stupid, okay? That was dumb. It was a dumb reason, and it was obviously for the shock. She wanted to deliver that line. Her and her producers thought that was so good, and it wasn't. It was just cringe. Some of the makeovers did look really dope, but that really wasn't the first priority. Like I said, it was just for shock value. Nothing new there. And that's when I noticed, okay, we're going back to the old gimmicks. Okay, we're in for a wild ride for this finale cycle. One part of tie over day that wasn't even a gimmick. It was just fucking cruel. And we didn't even know it until later on. One contestant named Gina revealed she had alopecia and she wore wigs. 
on tieover day, they made a whole beautiful, empowering moment when she removed her wig and rocked a completely bald head. She looked beautiful, but it sucked when we later learned what really went down. I felt bamboozled, my heart hurt for her. But in the moment when we watched, I was moved and I thought it was so emotional. And that made the reality of what happened that day so much worse. I'll get more into that in the controversy section. I just wanted to give you a little taste. Gina had a lot to say and I have a lot to say on what Gina had to say. And yeah, it'd be a tangled mess even more than it already is if I just went straight into that. It was all very illuminating. I'll just say that. Incredibly so. Better than any tea if you want to call it tea, that we've had in any cycle ever. We'll get there. Hang tight. The editors and producers drew out this heartfelt moment right into judging when the judges showed the parts of themselves they are insecure about. After the makeovers, they said that they were inspired by Gina, which was awesome. And I really loved it again, watching it, not knowing what was really going on. Ooh, and speaking of judging, okay, they were judging was weird. The prizes were also weird, if not weirder. And Gina spilled some tea about that later as well. But the prizes were becoming an avatar for the America's Next Top Model mobile game. Pantene just giving $100,000 as a sponsor. No commercial, no campaign, nothing like that. A fashion spread for Paper Magazine and a modeling contract with Next Management. Certainly not the peak of prizes, but I'm sure the contestants were still excited to some degree. The Avatar, though, like such bullshit in your face advertisement solely for the mobile game. Like so fucking cringe when they were announcing that. This cycle, I have to say, I felt like Tyra was way more likable. I didn't mind her performance as much as I had before. Also, this cycle, Ashley was much more vocal. I appreciated that. She was still very kind and big hearted and sister-esque, but she gave more really helpful critique. She came out of her Paula Abdul shell. She didn't go full Simon, but, you know, she landed on the happy medium that is Randy Jackson. And I'm sad to say love wins again. <coughs> <coughs> I was about to choke on my water. I'm sorry. I just was not the best audition. And it seems like you're really sad. And you don't want yeah. It's because, like, y'all are being rude. And I don't understand Jasmine, why Jasmine, you, you Jasmine, don't, Jasmine, you don't Jasmine, know me. Jasmine, you don't know me and you don't know anything about me. First of all, sweetheart, you come in because you volunteer. Right. And everyone who comes in believes they're a good singer. OK, but you're do you not. have to be negative? Do you well, I can't be, be positive after that. Six There's nothing out. you can Jasmine, say. it wasn't good. You're yeah. entitled to your opinion. Right, OK. But it wasn't good. And what do you do? Uh, do, you do? Play, make records. Because um, I haven't heard of you until American Idol came. So what do you do? Well, you have to look at the charts, honey. Oh, you do nothing. You're in the background, right? Oh, no, I do everything. Simon, what is he? He's not even American. He needs to go who back. Who is American Idol to him? He's not even American. Right. What he needs to go back to where he's from, French. Wherever the hell No, he's, he's British. British. He needs to go back to British and be judged for British people. Well, because American, so how can he tell who sings and not sing? And we Randy looks like a fat ago. slob, like he just got up and put on anything. Those are my friends, two of them. So. Randy, Paula, and Simon can all kiss Law, however, this cycle seemed much more unlikable. He was so obnoxious. 
I hate to say because again, I still really like him. Even when he was being nice this cycle, it just felt like an eye roll. I can't put my finger on it. It all felt so disingenuous. I feel like either he or production decided to amp up his personality and it came across as so unnecessarily extra. I know he's an extra human. I respect that. I love that. But it seemed like it was turned up several notches and became annoying. I think the same went for Drew, actually. They turned up a dial that was perfectly fine last cycle. He was great. And then it became too much. Drew came across as the asshole who was just being an asshole for the sake of being an asshole. This cycle, they also offered the same opportunity for a former contestant to come in and replace one of the girls based off fan voting. And again, this made it messy and uncoordinated. The back and forth with eliminated girls and the comeback and blah, all that shit was just too much. Cycle 23 did it just fine, or you could have just not done it at all. I understand that they wanted to up the drama, but it was so unnecessary. I hated it so much. Most photo shoots this cycle, much like last cycle, were very simple and straightforward. But then there were these weird out of place moments in the show, like a bubble runway walk in a massive ball with bubbles. I guess it was fan voted and shit, but it like took the sophistication and chicness that the last cycle channeled and flushed it down the toilet. There was another photo shoot with Eva, and I was so excited to see her come back and remake that iconic tarantula and diamond photo shoot. And I liked the concept to pose with one girl in the competition and one girl that was fighting to come back and Eva in the middle. And it was also shot by Nigel Barker. Like, what a perfect storm. You can't ask for anything better than that. Iconic photo shoot with iconic model with iconic photographer with a really cool concept. It was the most interesting shoot to watch this entire era, but it was so disappointing to see the final shot. The concept was exciting, but the photos were fucking lame and they just didn't deliver. It looked like a cheap family photo with a group of sisters or cousins. It was such a mess. It turned out that the perfect storm was just a big ball of nostalgia and tossed it at the wall and it was really fun to throw all the shit and it was exciting. But at the end of the day, nothing stuck and then you just had shit. Patrick Starr also appeared on this cycle and let me again take an opportunity to uh, present a rant. I'm going to tell you right now, keep it short and sweet, Patrick is not a nice human. He has made some really fucking nasty comments, sick comments, and racist comments, by the way. The beauty industry is very small. It seems big, but no, 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 no. Small world, Patrick. He literally said to someone in a rage as he was trying to uh, disrespect them, do you even speak English? To someone whose first language was not English, by the way. He literally threw a fucking diva fit for no reason. And fuck it. Let me just, you know, throw it out there. There was a launch of a particular product that Patrick had collabed with a particular brand slash retailer. When you have a launch of a new product, specifically, I can speak to it with this brand slash retailer. There's a specific day that you put that product out. There's a whole display. There's a whole product placement. There's timelines. There's maps. It's very, very organized. It's very structured. By the way, this was in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure someone can deep dive and find a bunch of tweets that he made about this as well. Rotten, nasty tweets, racist tweets. 
Tweets he acknowledged and later apologized for because he got called out by, I don't know, the brand slash retailer that he was collaborating with that he disrespected an employee from. But anyway, so there's a specific date that certain products are launched, right? Patrick's product, he noticed when he was walking by this particular brand slash retailer, the day before it was supposed to launch wasn't out. He freaked out and wanted to know why it wasn't out yet. Shouldn't you know the actual launch date of your product, Patrick? Why is that on anyone else? He then proceeded to call the location and ask why his products weren't out, was told why they weren't out, and then went on to say those comments like, oh, do you even speak English? As if this person didn't comprehend what he was saying because this person wasn't giving the proper answer that Patrick wanted. He's a piece of shit. Don't care how nice he presents, how fabulously talented he is with his makeup. No one wants to talk about it, apparently. But, you know, here I am. I've been in the beauty industry for a long time. Information travels fast. Don't like Patrick. Don't support him one fucking bit. But obviously, for the sake of America's Next Top Model, they were cross-promoting the show, which was smart. But it got real gimmicky and the purpose was lost again. I hate to say it, but the contestants this cycle were extremely annoying. They were so dramatic and so immature, and I'm sure the editing wasn't kind to them, but regardless, I couldn't think of one contestant that I actually consistently liked throughout the cycle. Not one. Like I said, I'm not sure if it was editing, because you know producers love that shit. They love to villainize one or two girls, but this cycle, their choice was very odd. They decided that the villain this cycle would be none other than Gina, the very same Gina that they made a hero for showing the confidence to rock her bald head on makeover day. Tie over day, sorry. But by the time she made it to the final few, she was 100% villainized because she like played quote dirty unquote in challenges. It was a very odd arc and it made no sense to me. I know I'm talking a lot about Gina, but like, let's be honest. She was this cycle. She was this era. She dominated all of America's Next Top Model by the time she was done. And that's no shade to Kyla. Yes, she did win cycle 24 and I didn't mind her winning. I thought she was beautiful and talented and it was great. But Gina won this cycle in my mind and she gave us the expose we have all been craving and waiting for. We got bits and pieces of exposés of America's Next Top Model over the years. We had the taste with Oliver Twix and his interviews. And then we got bigger bites with Jay's chats and from his mm, fiction novel. But this, oh, Gina, 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 Gina gave it to us good. So without further ado, let me give a preface. Then I'm going to share the tea. It's cold tea now. But I never knew about it until I started deep diving on this drama. So I don't know, maybe it'll be hot tea for you. Top Model aired the first season when Gina was diagnosed with alopecia and she grew up idolizing Tyra like so many other girls, just like myself. And let me just chime in here really quick. I'm not saying the tea is Gina having alopecia or minimizing her struggle in any way. What I'm referencing when I talk about the tea is the information that she gives us in her Instagram live and all of those types of things. The secrets, the facts that she drops, the behind the scenes things. Please don't think I'm reducing alopecia and those struggles and her growing up with those hardships as tea. I would never do that. That's not my intention. I just want to make that clear. 
But yeah, Gina grew up with America's Next Top Model and Tyra Banks, and she used the show to gain confidence and to own who she was and her diagnosis. And finally getting into casting and finally meeting Tyra Banks felt so powerful and was such an emotional moment for Gina because that was her hero. I think it's the classic tale of never meet your heroes when I listen to what Gina has to say. I think Gina bought the fantasy. I know she did. That fantasy we've been talking about this entire series. It was Gina. It was her dream to be on the show after watching it and letting it touch her heart. And when she finally got there, she was shattered. She began calling out the show for its bullshit as it aired. And it's important to note that she was still contractually bound to stay quiet about anything regarding the show. The Instagram live that she did is pretty long. If you want to watch the whole thing, you can just look up Gina Cycle 24 Instagram live on YouTube and it should be there. But I took out some bits and pieces that I thought were the most interesting. I had this one phone and they took it from me. For some reason, this producer pulled me upstairs, her name is Jamie to be specific, and she asked me, told me, that they have reason to believe that I have a phone. And it was really confusing and caught me off guard. And I just remember telling her, no, what would make you guys, you guys took my phone, like, I'm so confused. And I said, what would make you guys think that? She wouldn't really give me any specifics. She literally just said, we just have reason to believe that you have a phone. Do you or do you not have a phone? And I was kind of caught off guard and just kind of taken aback by the whole thing because I was like, no. And I started bawling and telling her, like, you have no idea how much of a dream it is for me to be here on America's Next Top Model. I would never do anything that would jeopardize my participation in a competition like that. And I wouldn't throw it away for a phone. I literally waited my entire life to get there and I wouldn't have hung on to something as small as a phone. For what? But for some reason they were so worried about this phone. And she kept telling me, we still think that you have the phone no matter what I said. So she lets me go back into the house with the rest of the girls. And they all asked me, why did she bring you up there? And they would always do things like that where production would pull me and separate just me from the rest of the girls. And it honestly made the rest of the cast hate me. A lot of the comments that you guys see the girls make in their interviews, a lot of the time it's because the producers made it seem like I was separated from the rest of them. They would separate me from them. Gina went on to win this challenge after being interrogated about the phone. So the other girls assumed that she was pulled aside and told she won to cause a rift and distrust. I said, so one of these bitches in this house have a phone. And I said, and whoever it is needs to confess to that because I'm taking the blame for something that I'm not doing. And it makes me look bad. And of course they don't believe me. So because I said something, they come down, they announce the winner. And because the whole house was aware of it now, listen to this, they told me to go into the house and to not say anything to any of the other contestants why why just call me out for it that doesn't make any sense why would i do that so of course i'm gonna let the other girls know so that was kind of the start of them kind of knowing that gina wasn't gonna play the game that they wanted me to play this is the truth behind why i feel when i originally spoke out while the show was airing and i definitely was in breach of my contract for being honest i think at the end of the day they were ultimately still scared that somehow i was the girl with that phone and that i had something that could get them in trouble i wish i did i wish i keystered a phone into that house i wish i would have known what i know now so that i could show you guys proof yeah they, they might have made the phone up to create tension sure but i truly think at that point i was telling them that i'm not going to stand for this and you guys can't expect that when i get out of this house that i'm going to be quiet i'm just not that kind of girl i'm going to be honest it is what it is they knew that they had a, a problem on their hands and somebody who was going to be honest and speak on their bullshit. I really think that they thought that I had the phone. And the saddest part about this, you guys, I direct messaged Tyra while this was happening. And I can show you guys. I'll be happy to post a screenshot of my story. I'm happy to. 
I direct message Tyra Banks and express to her that I know that this isn't all in her hands. I know that she didn't do it, but the producers did. And unfortunately, her name is on it. No one knows the producers. It's not the Ken Mock's Next Top Model. It's not Jamie's Next Top Model. It's Tyra Banks and America's Next Top Model. And that's why people put so much on her because she's the face, she's the representative, she's the creator, she's the founder of this entire venture. So that's why it does fall on her. I sent her a message and explained to her what goes on behind the scenes in production just in case she didn't know. I'm sure she does. I'm 100% sure she does. 24 cycles of America's Next Top Model in like 15 years, she knows. Plenty of girls have told her. She read my message, you guys, and left it on scene. She never responded to me. Like, who does that? This is your name. There's lawsuits being brought up because of things like this, but you don't want any responsibility in it. You speak on all this female empowerment and building people up and accepting their differences, when in reality, you do the opposite. You, you, you physically push the opposite. You might say something else, but your actions prove otherwise. Gina then goes on to explain some other issues she had while on the show. So the makeovers, we were all sitting on our living room floor. Tyra's on our TV telling us all one by one what our makeovers are. And I'm the last one. Of course, they wait for me to be last. So I'm sitting there anxiously like, oh my God, what's my makeover going to be? Because I know that I'm really bald underneath. Not bald, bald. I had a lot of hair, actually. I had almost a head full of hair. But I know that they're maybe trying to go the bald route, but I didn't know how bald. I was actually shocked. And what you guys saw was me being emotional and crying looking at the TV because my view sitting in that living room on the television Tyra said, Gina, we're going to go back to the natural you, the real you. We're going to give you a pixie and go back to that natural, ashy, blonde, natural hair that you had when you were a kid. And I started crying because at that point I was 24. I hadn't seen really like a morsel of my own hair, even its color, since I was 10 years old. I literally hadn't had my own hair on my head that resembled my ethnicity, my hair texture. None of that. But when they aired it to you guys, they edit out that clip of her telling me I get my real hair back and they're going to create a wig for me that resembles my old hair. On TV, they say, oh no, you know that wig girl, you're going to have to say bye to her. That's not what I watched. Not at all. And then when I get to the salon, I'm still in my head thinking I get a wig, right? You guys in your heads are thinking she's going to lose the wig. In my head, I was getting a wig. So when I walked into that salon, they don't show this on camera. They looked at me and they said, Gina, you know how we said we were going to get you a wig? Nope. We and they were like, we're actually, Law Roach said it. He was like, we're actually going to bick your head. And I was like, bick? And I was like, what does that mean? He was like, yeah, we're shaving your head. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? That's what made me cry. That's what made me feel insecure. That's what made me feel frustrated was because what they were doing to me made me feel like how I was when I was a kid. And I literally went to the University of Minnesota and they tested on me like I was a test rat just to figure out what my alopecia was. And they still didn't figure it out at that point. But give me this and that. Well, let's try this and let's shave that part and put this on there. And it felt like like childhood trauma and I was just supposed to deal with it but I know how they make girls look on the show when you don't want to cut your hair or when you're not totally keen on their makeover I don't want to be that girl I didn't want to be difficult and I also didn't want my autoimmune disease and my own insecurities to hold me back from something that I wanted to do my entire life and I sat there and cried in a chair while everybody stared at me and Ken Mock the producer of the show walked out from behind the closet somewhere and tells me you know how amazing this is that you're doing this for other people you know how how much of an impact this is gonna make and that was the one thing that made me go through with it it was about other people it was never about myself it was about being somebody in the media that people with alopecia can finally look at and say hey you have what i have and like you're doing something with it and you don't feel defeated by it 
How fucked up is that? I mean, honestly, I was fuming listening to that. Fuming! The final clip I'm going to share because I don't want to throw the whole live in here, but these I think are really important to hear, especially coming from Gina herself, because they really help to understand the final point I'm going to make about the show and its downfall as a whole. This clip to me was the most disgusting. This is how important Top Model and how much of an impact this made on my life. Top Model aired the same year that I was diagnosed with alopecia and lost all my hair. I remember I would go home from school just to watch America's Next Top Model, just to watch Tyra preach about how being different is beautiful and how having something so imperfect makes you beautiful. And I grew up idolizing this woman, not even my own mom, and slowly trying to use her words as encouragement to like gain this confidence that no one in media was gonna help me build because there wasn't anybody with alopecia. And I was so excited to meet her, you guys. Like, so excited. I really felt like it never was gonna happen for me and that I would never be standing in front of her, let alone competing on a show that I've dreamed of for the last 13, 14 years of my life. And I introduced myself and said, hi, I'm Gina. I love Ashley Graham. Ashley Graham is the shit. She was like doing these weird little like, but um, but um, <laughs> like things. So she was like, so you've done some like sexy, sexy stuff. And Tyra said, um, yeah, you went from like little girl modeling to like va va boom or something like that. And I was like, are you guys referring to Playboy? And they were like, yeah. Alice was yes. I didn't deny it. I never denied it. You guys found out that I did Playboy episode ten. It kind of made you guys view it as something that I kept as a secret, and that production found out later and used against me. That's not the case. They knew about Playboy when I was doing Skype interviews from my house before I was guaranteed a cast member. For Playboy, I used my real first and my real last name. I never tried to hide it. I never wanted to. So why would I do it now? I think I got defensive right away because I feel like her demeanor kind of changed sitting on the panel. Like she kind of crossed her arms and was just like looking at me like all weird, right? And I remember telling her, yeah, I have done Playboy. And I said, for me, in, in my career, I wanted to be a model so bad. And none of it happened for me because I'm short or because of how I look or because of my body type or whatever the case may be. So it made sense as a small girl with a little bit of curves to be put in lingerie. When I said sex sells and you've said that on this show and I, I just found out that that worked for my career. Tyra Banks crossed her arms and looked at me and said, I don't like that. You sound like a fucking prostitute. And turns and looks this way and would not make eye contact with me the entire time. And I started bawling because I just had the woman that I've idolized my entire life tell me that I sound like a fucking prostitute. And little do you guys know, I grew up in foster care. It seemed on TV, they made it sound on TV like I lost my mom, like she died. My mom didn't die, but I did lose my mom's strength and lose my mom to drug abuse and prostitution when I was a kid. I would never repeat the same things that my mom did that put me in the positions and the shit that I dealt with as a kid. It was so offensive to me that I just started crying. And I had four judges at that point, four different people yelling different slandering things back to me, basically telling me that I sounded slutty or I sounded whorish or that I was wrong. The only person that didn't bash me was Ashley Graham. And she told me, fuck what these people say. And she literally put her hand up to Tyra's face and said, don't ever let anybody make you feel like you've done something wrong with your own body. She said, you are beautiful. She said, I've been naked all over plenty of magazines. I've shown my body everywhere. And she said, and I'm still proud to this day. She was like, never say sorry, never apologize. <laughs> she was like, you're not wrong. Your body is beautiful and you are beautiful. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when I started bawling, trying to defend myself, Tyra uncrossed her arms and goes, now tell me about alopecia. 
And that's where you guys see my interviews start. They skip all the Playboy stuff. They skip all the shit that makes me me. And make you guys think I'm a totally different person right off the bat. I didn't know about this until the show airs. I watch it when you guys watch it. It's like, so when it's airing on, you know, VH1 at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, like, I'm tuning in when you tune in. I know that was a lot, but I felt like it was all very important. My first thought after watching that live was... What else from this show has been so severely manipulated? What girls weren't as vocal as Gina? What have the producers gotten away with? My next reaction was simple. Just a word. Hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of Tyra Banks. And I don't want to diminish the good she has done for women and for young girls. I don't doubt she genuinely wants the best for people. I don't think she's the devil. But I think she plays up a lot of what she says. How are you going to have Amber Rose on a show you produce and created just a cycle ago doing the slut walk and talking about women empowerment, then shame a young woman for modeling for Playboy, something she isn't ashamed of and doesn't regret? How can you do that? Tyra has profited off sex appeal her entire fucking career. She was a Victoria's Secret angel and did Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. What is the difference between what she's done in Playboy? A few centimeters of fabric? What is the root issue for Tyra? She says Gina sounds like a fucking prostitute. Let's dissect that. What's a prostitute? A whore for money? What's another way we can phrase that? Selling a body for money? Tyra, what exactly is it that a model does? And okay, let's do a deep cut. Let's say the real issue is she is selling her sex appeal and her body for money and the photos she took would arouse people. Tyra, yet again, no one can deny you looked hot as hell on the Victoria's Secret runways and on the covers in your skimpy little bikini. And you did those runways and those photo shoots to arouse the viewer, whether it's sexually or not. Most of the time it is, and you proved that when you talked about posing in a sexy way. You said, this is sexy for women. This is sexy for men. You do the booty tooch. You knew exactly what you were doing. Sex sells. Nudity is clearly not the issue either because you parade girls around naked every cycle and have consistently said that it's part of the job. So the naked part on its own wasn't a bother to her. It was the arousal. The same arousal that shot her to international stardom, that made her a sex icon, that gave her the power to create America's Next Top Model. Badass sex appeal. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this arousal. Tyra is. But there she sits, with her arms crossed, looking down on a young model because she decided to do the same thing. I think empowered women actually frighten Tyra. I think she enjoys fixing broken women. She likes picking them off the ground and the building process. She doesn't like when women who already own their sexuality like Gina, who own their emotions like Tiffany, who she was rooting for. And that's where I meet a crossroads when it comes to Tyra wanting to help girls. I don't think she wants the best of them for their sake. Tyra wants to be the fixer, the hero, the inspiration for them. That's what she enjoys. This competition wasn't about girls being built up. No, 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 no. America's Next Top Model was an illusion. A way for Tyra to play fairy godmother, to play super smize, to play role model. 
All in my opinion, of course. What Gina has said about the show not helping her career, but in fact hurting her career? A concept us normal folk can't possibly fathom because, oh my god, they're famous, we saw them on a reality show. They're on UPN and The CW and VH1. What she has said is consistent with many other contestants' stories, and they know much better than us. Her explaining that producers always knew about her history with Playboy was also consistent with Angelie's story. She also claimed producers were always aware of her escorting and didn't make it a problem until it lined up with a reason to let her go. Gina's expose hit hardest for me personally because here we have a girl who grew up like a lot of us. She had a horrendous childhood and let me admit right off the bat, I have a bias. Her and I have a very similar childhood. She's my older sister's age and I remember my sister and I were just like Gina, trying to escape our shitty reality and shitty life. So we turned on America's Next Top Model to escape to a world where we could possibly maybe one day be a model. Gina actually got to live that fantasy that I've been talking about this whole time. She got to touch it and feel it and experience the competition. And that fantasy was actually a nightmare for her, and she was vocal about it. We have seen the dream portrayal slowly fading away cycle after cycle, and we had a few contestants say little bits about how Tyra was a diva or never around, and I remember justifying it a lot. Even while researching, I was saying to myself, maybe this woman just has really strong boundaries. I don't blame her for that. You can't be everything for everyone all the time. Maybe she was just protecting her energy, and that could still be true. But let's also be clear. Two things can be true at once. Tyra was also cruel and methodical and made this experience that was a little girl's dream into a fucking nightmare. I could talk for hours just about Gina and how she burned down the already charred, decrepit remains of America's Next Top Model, which I think was a fair send-off. I feel like we deserve to know some hard truths. But I want to go back to the overall era. There was something missing from the wasn't that show canceled era for me. It was a spark or something, and I don't think the spark was Tyra, but maybe if they had just a piece of someone in the old America's Next Top Model days, like Miss J or Mr. J or even bringing Janice back as a new woman. I think that would have been helpful. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it was missing that pizzazz. There was a messiness and a confusion to the show and a lack of energy. Despite the successful modernizing and the cool, crisp look of the show, viewers remained unimpressed and tuned out yet again. And this time, it was over for real. After 24 cycles, America's Next Top Model was canceled following consistent drops in ratings. Over the years, we slowly but surely lost the girls we related to. The Shandies and the Jazlines and the Angelies and Anne's plucked from obscurity being an unnoticed stalker at Walgreens or a struggling aspiring model sleeping at a bus station for a chance or a small town girl from podunk middle of nowhere land discovered in a mall. These girls were replaced with Instagram models and catty girls. 
replaced with men and women just looking for a hookup and screen time. We watched because these contestants were like our friends. We saw our problems in them, our dreams, our personalities. Watching them being lifted from a life of mediocrity and given a chance to be America's next top model was empowering and mystical to us viewers, no matter our ages. We laughed, we cried, we were inspired and empowered by the fantasy. And when we stopped seeing relatable characters, a chunk of us hopped off the bandwagon. When the modeling faded and the gimmicks sprung up, another chunk of us hopped off. When America's Next Top Model became less about empowerment and more about finding a hookup, another group exited. And finally, when the Last of Us loyal ANTM fans were hanging on the bandwagon for dear life, riding through this new wave, the last shred of what we loved, the heart of the show, was gone. Maybe the heart was never there and it was all an illusion, as I proposed earlier. Or maybe it just deteriorated over the 15 years on air. But one thing is for certain. When the veil began to lift away, slowly but surely, us viewers slipped away too. Guys, did we just complete the evolution of America's Next Top Model? That was a wild ride. I know I got really into my feelings in that last bit, but like I was in my feelings. I'm sorry. I want to give a massive shout out again to Smoky Glow on YouTube. She does an entire evolution of series revolving around YouTubers and beauty. And it really inspired me to do my own little twist on this evolution of series. So if you like the idea of mixing beauty and evolution of and YouTubers and all that jazz, be sure to check Hannah out at Smoky Glow on YouTube. She does a much better job than me. She is very articulate and very intelligent. But who knows? Maybe I'll do another one of these evolution of series. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. I don't think anything will take me quite as long as this evolution of series. This was 24 cycles. 15 years of airtime that I studied. It was a beast and I hope you enjoyed it. I worked my ass off. I really did. I'm sure it wasn't perfect, probably not even close, but it really did have my heart in it. And I really took the time to try and understand where this show went wrong and where it went right. Today, I would also like to spotlight Agape International Missions, a four-star, 100% rated organization on Charity Navigator. Agape International Missions is doing everything that they can to put an end to sex trafficking worldwide. An estimated 40.3 million people are living in modern-day slavery around the world. One in three of those people are children. 4.8 million of those trafficked for sex and 99% of sex trafficking victims are women and girls. Agape International Missions website, aimfree.org, shares more information on the issues, success stories, and also shares what you can do to help. Be sure to check out the pod's Instagram at NCQH Podcast for updates on streaming news and or you can follow my personal Instagram account at L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z if you want to peek into my boring little life. And my collection of art and poems titled Myocardium is available to purchase through Amazon and the link for that is in my personal Instagram bio. 
Myocardium is available in a very high quality paperback or a mobile version as well. The paperback gives you art and poetry and the mobile version is just poetry, but it's a lot cheaper. A thousand more thank yous. I can't thank you enough for getting through this entire series with me. It's been so much fun. Until next time, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong. Thank you.